Amen. Thank you, Katie. Guys, what are we doing without a men's ministry? Like, we're totally missing the boat. Like, it, we should call it remisterhood. <laughs> it's like we're missing an opportunity to have a fantastic pun based off of recent. We're doing it. That's it. We're doing it. Remisterhood. Welcome to Conduit this morning. If you're new here or not familiar with us, my name is Cameron, I'm the pastor here, and uh, we welcome you, and we hope you, uh, we hope you feel welcome here. Our goal, always, um, is to distract you with technological difficulties. That's right, buzzing. We want you to, uh, we want to ensure that you. Uh, find a place here, that you know that you have a place here, uh, that you know that you are welcome here, that if you um, feel like you don't belong anywhere else, we want you to belong here. Um, we love you, and we have been praying, we have been praying for you. And you say, well, how, how is that even possible? You didn't know I was going to be here this morning, and you're right. We didn't know that you specifically were going to be here this morning, uh, but we were still praying for you. Still praying specifically for you that, uh, that every man, woman, and child who walks through these doors today would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer every week. That's our prayer every day. We will continue to pray uh, we will continue to pray for that. We've been in this series on the book of Proverbs, uh, the wisdom of God, and hitting different sections of wisdom or different sections of Proverbs every week. And last week we, were, uh, we talked about integrity. We talked about how integrity is not the perfection of our character, but integrity is the transparency of our character between who we are in public and who we are in private. That, that, we want, that we want the transparency, the alignment of both our public and private lives. And that is the measure of our integrity. Um, as always, if you uh, miss a week here at Conduit and you want to keep up on the, um, the sermons or the messages... No matter who preaches them, uh, they are all online, either at our website at www.conduitministries.com or if you have the Conduit Ministries app, which is free, um, you can always listen to all the messages um, on the app as well. Today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about what Proverbs has to say about anger. And what Proverbs has to say uh, about anger is varied. It uses a lot of different um, words and associations with anger. You're going to see words like, like anger and hatred, harshness, being harsh or quarrelsome, um, and dissension. Now, right off the bat, before we go any further, um, what, I want you, what I want you to know and what I think that the Holy Spirit is speaking into us and over us this morning is that God wants to set you free from anger. That God wants to set you free from that. that is not, it is not God's desire that you live perpetually in a state of being angry at the world. Being angry at the people around you. Being angry at your circumstances. Hating the way, hating your life. Hating the way that it's going. Hating the relationships that you have. About feeling like you have no other option or response than being harsh or critical or rude. You see, what, what, what I believe is that um, for, for many of us, these these types of responses or attitudes or emotions like being angry, being harsh, 
hating circumstance or relationship or experience that we're in is that they over time become default responses to life. Like we, know, we, we no longer even think about becoming angry or what it takes for us to get angry. It just becomes the way in which we respond to everything. We, we respond and receive everything in a, in a spirit and attitude of anger. And maybe, maybe the name for your anger is frustration. <laughs> and maybe the name for your anger is annoyance. Uh, or maybe it is as deep as um, hatred. Or dissension. Or being harsh. What I found uh, in my life is when I have these default responses that I, I, I may be so accustomed to feeling in a certain way. Like I may feel so, I may be so accustomed to responding in anger to someone or something that I literally feel and in a very real way am, am powerless to respond in any other way. Someone says something to me in a certain way. Someone responds to me with a with a certain like Try that one. Someone responds to me in a in a certain tone, or with uh, a certain attitude, and maybe if I'm thinking really clearly and consciously, I can respond to them in a way that's healthy or mature or like you know, and keep my ducks in a row. But then most of the time. It's like I don't even think about the way that I'm responding. I am, I am almost literally powerless to respond in a way that is harsh, critical, angry. We've, we've said it many times, and I will continue to say it here, is that um, we, we generally think we are much stronger than we actually are. We, we generally think that we have much more like willpower and, and just raw strength to do better, to be better, to think better, to act better. And so the powerlessness of our Christian life comes from this idea that, well, I just have to try harder. Right? I just have to I just have to work a little bit more diligently. I just have to focus a little bit more. And then when we work hard and try hard, and it's, well, I just gotta be a better person, we end up failing at working hard, and therefore we assume that there is something wrong, not with what I'm doing, but with what I'm believing, who I'm believing what I believe in general. But, but powerlessness in our lives, right, comes, comes not, from the, not from just not having the right information, not trying hard enough, not putting forth enough effort, right? We are, we are powerless to change the default responses of our lives, like anger, when we trust in ourselves. When we, when, we, when we are overconfident in our ability to act in a different way all by ourselves. You see, uh, what, the, what the word says, and you've heard me say this before, is that the, the only thing that is good in me is what? You've heard me say it, right? The only thing good in me is Jesus. The only thing good in me is Jesus. 
The reason that we often feel powerless to change the default response when it's anger, for instance, we feel powerless to act in a different way there in that moment is because we are powerless. We are powerless to change that on our own. In our own strength, in our own will, we do not possess the ability to change. Scripture says that it's not by my strength, not by strength, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That the, that the catalyst for change in your life, the catalyst for being set free from bondage to anger, hatred, harshness, cynicism, the catalyst for change is not your own power. It's in the power of the spirit of the living God living within you. It is only in full surrender to his lordship over your life that you will experience a dramatic shift in the way that you respond to circumstance, relationship, something that happens to you or in you or around you, relying fully and only on yourself to just gut through it, get through it. Well, I'm just going to rely on the people around you Bad idea. Bad strategy. Doomed for failure. We succeed and we succeed fully only when we trust in the Spirit of God. Now, as we talk about overcoming like this, this powerlessness of anger, right? Um, Proverbs has several different ways, like we've already talked about, several different ways that it talks about it, okay? It uses this one particular, uh, it uses this one particular phrase several times that I want to kind of key in on this morning. Um, it says that we typically, that, that anger is something that, that stirs up dissension, all right? Um, and it connects the stirring up of dissension with several different emotions. And I want to look at these all here really briefly. So if you have your scripture, um, remember we're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is like right in the middle of your Bible, all right? You open right in the middle of your Bible, you're probably going to hit either Psalms. If you hit Psalm, go to your right in the Bible, and you'll hit Proverbs right afterwards. If you hit Proverbs, that's where you want to be. And we find verses in Scripture by chapter and verse. So we're in chapter, right now, 10 of Proverbs, verse 12. And we'll have these up on the screen for you as well. But I want to I wanna, um, explore this idea of stirring up dissension. Okay? So Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, says that, that hatred, hatred is a thing that stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. So we have this idea of hatred being a thing that stirs, right? of mixes, mixes things up, right? You go over to chapter 15 in Proverbs, and you see the same phrase. Chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So again, we see this, this stirring um, phrase, all right? One more. Proverbs 26, so over to your right, 
a couple more chapters till you get to 26. Verse 20 and 21, we see the concept of stirring, but we see it in different language, all right? Because I, I want you to get the idea that this is a concept that Proverbs uses by, by employing several different metaphors. One is stirring, right? This one is like adding wood to a fire that is dying, all right? Proverbs 26, verses 20 and 21. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. So what are we, uh, what are we really getting at here this morning? Is anyone, um, anyone familiar with the phrase stirring the pot? Everyone's familiar with that phrase, right? Some of us may even consider ourselves um, pot stirrers, right? And, and to stir the pot really, really means, okay, so if you consider yourself to be a pot stirrer, don't, you don't need to raise your hand or anything, right? Then, then um, I don't mean to be picking on you this morning, but we're not, we're, we're not going to be talking really well of the, of the, the pot stirring effect, Okay? Because, um, because what Proverbs is describing is, is this, this stirring, the, the attitudes that make us stir things up and what it, what it causes in our lives around us is not good. It says it, it causes dissension, right? Um, to stir the pot, really, it means to encourage or create or, here's a big word, proliferate tension or drama to encourage or to create tension stress drama sometimes we stir the pot for personal gain right we know if we can create tension or drama or or an argument over here that that we will we will be, we can benefit from the fallout of that, right? What I think what I find more often is that um, people really aren't that thoughtful, right? That if they stir the pot, it will benefit them. But I, but I do think that what we see in people who like to stir the pot is that there's just this, there's this excitement that comes, this thrill that comes from the fight, from the tension, from the stress, from the awkwardness. We, we enjoy almost seeing people squirm under the tension of a relationship or a conversation or a, or a situation. And so we will even become people who gloat about stirring the pot. Oh, I just like to stir the pot, you know me. Not good. Not good. It's not, it's not a thing we want to be known for. Right? Remember how we said at the very beginning of this series that there is such thing, like they, that, that wisdom is a general category, but that scripture divides wisdom into two separate categories. Worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And maybe in worldly wisdom, there's, kind of, there's this like, um, there's this satisfaction about being a, 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 a potster. Oh, they were just, people are getting too comfortable, and so I just come in and I, I stir the pot, you know, kind of mix things up a little bit and see how things fall. That's a form of worldly wisdom that I believe that we want to, and I believe scripture communicates that we want to avoid. Admittedly, maybe it is thrilling. Maybe it does keep things interesting, but it certainly does not keep things or make things godly. 
It's like, um, I tried to do this experiment yesterday. Um, you know, you have life, and, um, you know, life can be pretty clear at times, like, everything's going fairly well, right? And, and someone, who, um, someone who stirs the pot, right, get this idea of, like, you know when you go to the stove, and you've had soup on there for a while, and all of, like, the solids have fallen down to the bottom, and you can't see anything but broth. And so you take the spoon and you stir it up to take all of the things that have settled down towards the bottom of the pot and distribute them back within the mix. That's the idea, right? Or that's the, the concept of someone who says, you know, all of the dirt and the muck, it's settled down to the bottom. And, uh, you know, I don't really like that. So I was going to go over to this relationship or this in this There, that's better. That's better. You know what the difficult thing about that is? Is that yesterday when I put all that dirt in there and I shook it up, I anticipated, right, that, uh, and I set it outside while I was cleaning, and I was like, well, I'm going to see how long that takes to, to settle, because I'm going to use this in my sermon tomorrow, and then we can all watch it settle throughout the sermon. And you know what the crazy thing about that is that sometimes even when I'm trying to prepare something for us to use as a lesson for stirring the pot, the Lord teaches me additionally something. Um, I expected that, well, you know, I'll set my watch in and maybe an hour I'll be able to see through it again. But what the reality is, is that when we stir the pot in other people's lives or when we stir the pot in our own lives it never clears as quickly as we think it will. You see, we think about it really flippantly. We think, well, I'm just going to stir it up, make it interesting for my own benefit, or so that I can see it, and then it'll be fine. But what we don't realize is that when we go in to someone's life and all of the junk has settled down to the bottom, and maybe they finally are beginning to process or work through a relationship or some circumstances or an experience that they had, and we'll stir it all up, and then we'll walk away, and their life will be muddy, for a long time, a lot longer than we anticipated or expected. And you know who then is responsible for making the mess? You. Me. And then we wonder why people are walking around with like muddy souls, muddy emotions, muddy minds, right? Because some of us are just not satisfied to let things settle out. To let the water be clear. We need, to, we need to take what is settled and we need to stir and shake it up. Loved ones, this should not be. This should not be us. This, this, should not, this, this should not be us. And, and listen, really clearly, if this is you, if this is you, God wants you to be free from it. If you are a pot stirrer, God doesn't want you to be. God wants you to be free from this. And God will and can set you free from this. Set you free from, from the comfort of anger, the comfort of hatred, the comfort of fighting and quarreling. And, and let me tell you, family, like, you remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about how... Um, Wisdom for our speech was like a, a personal path of sanctification that God had put, has put me on in life. This is another one, right? There's, there's lots of times where I have been and have considered myself a pot stirrer. And considered it to be a good, even righteous quality sometime. But even as I was preparing 
this word this week, it became abundantly clear, right? That there is nothing godly, that there is nothing righteous, that there is nothing redeeming about being a person who, who mixes things up and shakes things up in people's lives. There's, there's nothing godly about creating dissension. That it is only people with hate within them or anger within them or who enjoy quarreling and disdain in them. And that is, and there's something wrong with me if that's, if that's something that I enjoy or want to be known for. And, and I pray that God would set me free from the feeling of, of accomplishment or thrill at wanting to stir the pot in someone else's life or in my own life. I don't want that for me. If God doesn't want it for me, I don't want it for me. And if God doesn't want it for you, you shouldn't want it for you either, no matter how good it feels. Instead of being a people who stir things up, who shakes things up, why don't we, why don't we set our hearts, why don't we set our minds to task at being a people who help to settle things down? Instead of... Instead of being a people who stir things up in people's lives, maybe we ought to be a people who help to settle things down in people's lives. You know, there's this guy, he's kind of famous around here. His name is Jesus. And he said in one of like his most famous teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says this. Um, I'll go there so I don't screw it up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. This is like one of the most unpopular phrases in all, or un, unpopular things in all of like Western or at least American Christianity, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the children of God. We don't know a lot about peace. We know a lot about tension. We know a lot about strife. We know a lot about war. We know a lot about anger. We know a lot about hatred, right? We don't know much about peace. And what I find interesting in what Jesus says here, even in this one tiny little section, is that, is that Jesus isn't like, this is not a, um, this is not a passive verb. That Jesus uses? As if like, okay, peace already exists. I want you to work really hard to keep the peace, right? Because keeping peace can be all about compromising truth, right? It can be about um, coddling, right? Um, but Jesus doesn't say, I want you to Witness the peace around you and work really hard to maintain it. Jesus says, listen, my children, my children, they make peace. They don't, they don't keep peace, they make it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. My, my children, they're, they're not content to see where peace is and work to keep it. What they want to do is see where things have been stirred up in people's lives. Where there is tension and dissension and anger and hatred. And, and, and they want to go to work in taking that and making peace in that situation. And brothers and sisters, this is the life that we should be about. This is the life that we should be about. Not the life of being content to stir things up in people's lives. That's a worldly wisdom. 
but to take a godly wisdom approach. To be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about a different reality for the people that are living around us. We're going to um, turn away from Proverbs for just a moment. I'm going to keep your finger there because we're going to go back. But I want you to turn um, into the New Testament. So that's where the Gospels are, right? The back third of your Bible. And about midway through the back third, if that makes sense, there's this book called Galatians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, Galatians, chapter 5, starting at verse 16. So look, the Spirit, the Spirit of God... Are you all listening? This is really important, okay? The Spirit of God desires to set you free from anger. The Spirit of God desires to set you free from powerlessness in your response to life circumstances, okay? When you have an immediate response of anger, an immediate response of hatred, when you thrive on quarreling or being argumentative or when you love to stir the pot and and make things that have settled in life back into the mix God wants to set you free from that he doesn't want that for you right God's remedy if I can put it that simply is to infuse you with the power of his Holy Spirit to give you a new life by faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, all right? And to give you a new way of responding when life hits, all right? So if your default response is anger, right? God desires to give you a different response by putting, by substituting your spirit for his spirit. Now, in Galatians... The Apostle Paul talks about like what that difference is and how we become different when the Holy Spirit lives within us. So starting at verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, read with me here. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want listen <laughs> okay god i don't want to be angry when this person says this thing and then they say that thing right and what are you like Ugh. You're angry, right? Ah, I don't want to be that way, Lord. I don't want to have that response. I don't, I don't want to react in situations like I know I'm going to react. And what Paul says here is like, look, you're the spirit of God and your sinful nature are constantly at battle with one another, right? And so until there is full surrender and the spirit has lordship over your life you are going to consistently do that thing you do not want to do verse 18 but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law you're not under that same sense of powerlessness in your response any longer listen The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. 
you know, well, I don't have a, I don't got no idolatry and witchcraft type of sins going on in my life. Like, this sounds like for those really bad sinners. Okay. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. That word's familiar, right? Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, verse 22. What does God want to replace our response with? He wants to replace it with his spirit. What is the, how will we know that his spirit is living within us? It's when these fruit, the fruit of the spirit within us, begins to be exemplified in our responses to people in the way that we um, respond to situation or relationship or life. He says, look, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self Control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Listen. Here, here's what I want you to here's what I want you to um, see. Okay, is that Proverbs um, and lots of Scripture describes these kind of default responses of um, of our sinful nature, and they are the default responses like anger. They are the default responses of harsh words. They are the default responses of hatred. They are the default responses of quarreling, fighting, right? Anyone ever get into a conversation and be like, I just can't let this person, I just can't let this person go without telling them how wrong they are, right? They, they, they must know how incessantly wrong they are. So I, it's my spiritual gift to tell people how wrong they are. Quarreling, right? Anger, harsh words, hatred, Quarreling, right? And then on the other side here, we have this life that is lived when I am ruled by the Spirit of God. That instead of anger and harsh words, I have peace and I have kindness. Instead of hatred and quarreling, I have gentleness. And I have a spirit of self-control. Well, I really, uh, really, really, really need to tell them how wrong they are. And I can hear it. I can feel it coming. I can hear, feel it coming out. But instead, right? Instead, we do not do like, right? Remember a couple weeks ago we said, who, who just does things impulsively without thinking? Children. Who says things impulsively without thinking about the consequence? Kids. Children do, all right? But those who are controlled by the Spirit of God, those who are growing in maturity and, and, and Christ-likeness have a measure of self-control, right? We do not, I don't need to be right in this situation. I don't need to voice my opinion. I don't need to get in a debate about who's wrong or who is right. And the question always becomes, well, all right, Practically speaking, then, how does this all work out? What, what am I... How do I just do that? How do, how do I just do that? It's a reasonable question. Right? Because if it was just, if it was just that easy, right, we, we would all do it. If it was just... But, but see, here's the, the reality of coming back to... The beginning is that um, the how do we just do that? 
we don't just do it. See, it actually becomes an exercise of saying, Lord, I am fed up with just trying to do that. And Father, by your grace and in your mercy, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that when I want to be angry, all I have is a spirit of peace. When I want to say something harsh, all that can come out of me is kindness. When I want to express my hatred for this person or about this circumstance, what rushes over me is an overwhelming gentleness. When I just have to tell that person how horrible they are or how wrong they are, Lord, that your spirit gives me self-control to keep my mouth shut. And so it does begin with an intentional step of surrendering your will to try. Stop trying so hard. Stop trying so hard and trust that God wants better for you. And that his spirit will produce fruit that will negate your default responses. I don't have an anger problem. It's always... It, it's always an interesting experiment to ask someone if they have an anger problem. I don't have an anger problem! <laughs> right? I am not an angry person! You sound not angry. Right? Listen. Everyone has an anger problem. Just, like, cut them off in traffic. Right? You don't think you have an anger problem until you're driving, right? And then, and then some idiot who has no idea how to drive and apparently is not in a hurry, right, has cut me off and is now going 36 in a 35 and, and what is the response? Well, half the time the response is like you're... Even if they can't hear you, you're yelling at them. You're saying how horrible they are. You're like, sometimes it is laying on the horn. Sometimes it is getting right on their butt. Sometimes it is like um, some creative sign language for how upset you are. Right? Um, they're, they're, like, you can express your anger pretty, in a pretty volatile way pretty quickly. And then you begin to realize that you're not even controlling your response that somehow some way the default response of your whole being is absolute anger because someone pulled out in front of you I mean come on people if, if there's any if there's any evidence that we are powerless in our responses it's when there's a bad driver in front of you. Look at, back to our Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. When, um, well, they, someone, they were so angry with me, and they were saying all these horrible things, and they were, they were um, accusing me of this, and they were accusing me of that, and they were they're like, you should have heard what they were saying about me or to me, or you should have seen what they did. Well, the, the worldly wisdom response would be like, fight back. Defend yourself. You don't deserve that. They can't, they can't do that to you. you. Show them who you are. Show them how strong you are. You tell them exactly where to go and how to get there. Right? In the face of wrath. Right? 
Worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom. You know what disarms an angry person quicker than anything? Gentleness. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. You can can be a peacemaker in this situation. Or you can be a pot stirrer. Or, you know what? I'm going to say something to them. Something needs to be said. They can't act like that. They can't do that. I don't, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're doing. But I got an opinion about this. I got experience in this. So uh, they need to know exactly what's going on. Right? Here's scenarios that we're, we're talking about. Like, got a lot of, I, got a, I got a big opinion about this. And, uh, and if they only knew what I knew. Listen, don't, there's, there's this phrase from the neighborhood that I come from, which is Randolph, um, so it's not like super, <sighs> like, don't start none, won't get none, right? Like, don't start an argument when they're, when, when you don't actually want to follow through with the argument, right? Like, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Proverbs 17, 14. Or like we said already in Proverbs 26, 20 and 21. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You ever had an experience or a relationship or a circumstance in your life that you was long since settled? You moved past it. There there was a conclusion part to it, right? The mud had settled to the bottom. It was simply sitting there restfully and peacefully. And somehow, some way, like, you got this, like, chip on your shoulder or your bug in your ear. And you're like, you know what? I forgot to say that to them. You know that thing you did to me three years ago? That we haven't talked about since. We've long since been over. I need you to know something. And what do, we, what do you do? You take a big chunk of wood, right? And you throw it on those embers. And then you're like... You're, you're blowing up to like get this fire going again, right? Like my life is just a series of fires that's always burning, right? And always tension everywhere and arguments and anger and hatred and dissension and discord and all of these things. And like I don't understand why I can't just put out the fire because you're walking around with this big heaping pile of wood in your hands, throwing it on all the coals, making sure all the fire keeps going, right? Because for some, for some reason, there's more, there's more comfort in that for you. Now, I understand, right? There's no judgment here. But the purpose is to say this and, for, and to hear this. God wants better for you. God wants more for you. God desires more for you. I'm going to close with this uh, close with this thought here, because invariably I know that it's out there. Well, Pastor, not all anger is bad. Not all anger is bad. Um, in fact, I shall point you to the scripture where Jesus was angry. How about that? And I will not deny that um, Jesus was angry. I will also not deny that, um, you know, you're right, not all anger is bad. 
Um, I would also say this. You're not Jesus. Don't use the, oh, well, Jesus got angry as an excuse for you to be fuming mad for 20 years about something that happened to you. Here's the reality, is that God's anger is always righteous and just. Always. Our anger is rarely righteous, rarely just, and even when it is, it switches quickly. Yes, you may, you may experience and have righteous anger, right? But, but what James says, in James chapter 1, verse 19, he says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Verse 20, because man's Anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. James chapter 1, verse 20. Well, ang- I can be angry. There's such thing as righteous anger. Agreed. God's anger is righteous. Our anger is tainted by our own sin. Right? And so quickly moves sinful that if you walk around rationalizing your anger as righteous, I almost immediately know that, no, you're just angry. There's nothing righteous about always being angry. Nothing at all. Because God wants better. God desires more. Anger will destroy you. As the band uh, comes back up this morning, I want to pray um, over you again. But also want to give you uh, the opportunity to know that uh, the altar is open for prayer. And if you, are, uh, if you are feeling powerless in your anger, if you are fe- feeling powerless over your response, for life circumstances and relationships. Um, let us pray over you this morning.